You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. All right, well, it's interesting that we can hear thunder in the background tonight. I've entitled this The Storm, uh, chapter 37, because if you remember at the end of 36, uh, Elihu's starting to talk about the thunder and the lightning, and so we're going to spend some time talking about a storm tonight. But all through 36, we're going to end up, Elihu's going to finish talking tonight. This is, this is not the finish line, but we can see the finish line, because after this evening, we're going to hear from God. And so it's been monotonous at times. But we're wrapping up the words of man this evening, and then when we pick back up, we'll, we'll speak on uh, what God has to say. But, so tonight we're hearing the, the final things of Elihu, last chapter in 36. He, talked about, he spent all of his time talking about the greatness of God, and he wanted to, Job to understand just how great God was. All the ways that God moves that men can't understand, they can't comprehend. And, and the point that Elihu is trying to make to not only to Job, but also to these three friends of Job's, is that God's greater than you can imagine. He's greater than your mind can comprehend. And so we can't go about our life pretending or lying to ourselves that we can understand Him completely, because we can't. That's the reality. And Job's friends have toyed with this idea that they know exactly what's going on. They know exactly what God's doing. They know exactly what's going on in Job's life. And Elihu's simply rebuking that idea. That's the main idea of what Elihu's doing. And so here in chapter 37, we're going to see his final words. And he's doubling down on this idea of God's greatness and his majesty. And that his actions are greater and far beyond the actions of man. And so when we question our situation, that's what Job's done at times, right? When we question our situation, what we're really doing on some level is questioning God. And so Elihu wants to remind us and wants to remind Job that, listen, God's ways are greater than yours. And there are times that we're not going to understand God's ways. A lot of times we're not going to. But we can trust that God's actions are going to be just and righteous. And that's what Elihu's trying to get at. So let's look at the chapter, then we'll, we'll march through it. But he says, my heart pounds, this is Elihu speaking, my heart pounds at this and leaps from my chest. Just listen to his thunderous voice and the rumblings that come from his mouth. He lets it loose beneath the entire sky, his lightning to the ends of the earth. Then there comes a roaring sound. God thunders with his majestic voice. He does not restrain the lightning when his rumbling voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we can't comprehend. For he says to the snow, fall to the earth. And the torrential rains, his mighty torrential rains, serve as his sign to all mankind, so that all men may know his work. The wild animals enter their lairs and stay in their dens. The windstorm comes from its chamber, and the cold from the driving north winds. Ice is formed by the breath of God, and watery expanses are frozen. He saturates clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. They swirl about, turning around and round at his direction, accomplishing everything he commands them over the surface of the inhabited world. He causes this to happen for punishment, for his land, or for his faithful love. Listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God directs his clouds or makes their lightning flash? Do you understand how the clouds float, those wonderful works of him who has perfect knowledge? You whose clothes get hot when the south wind brings calm to the land, can you help God spread out the skies as hard as a cast metal mirror? Teach us what we should say to him. We cannot prepare our case because of our darkness. 
Should he be told that I want to speak? Can a man speak when he's confused? Now no one can even look at the sun when it's in the skies after a wind has swept through and cleared the clouds away. Yet one of the north, out of the north he comes, shrouded in a golden glow, awesome majesty surrounds him. The Almighty, we cannot reach him, he's exalted in power. He will not violate justice and abundant righteousness. Therefore men fear him. He does not look favorably on any who are wise in heart. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> but as you can see, I, I spoke on it in the end of chapter 36. It appeared as though a storm was approaching. Because Elihu spoke of clouds, he spoke of rain, he spoke of thunder. And it, it's easy for someone to argue that Elihu simply using all of those things, the clouds, rain, and the thunder, as a metaphor or a descriptor of God's greatness. But when we get to 37, I think you would have to disagree with that argument. Because look at the first two verses. He says, My heart pounds at this and leaps from my chest. Just listen to his thunderous voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. It's hard, at least for me, I can't speak for you, but it's hard not to get the sense that the thunder's actually taking place. It's in the background. He can hear it. And Elihu calls on Job to listen to this thunderous voice and rumbling. That's just his poetical way to describe the thunder that's actually happening. Because here's the reality. Elihu wouldn't call on Job. He wouldn't ask Job to listen to something that only he can hear in his own head. Because Elihu, wants, he says it later in the chapter, Listen, Job. How many times has he said, listen, Job? He wants Job to listen to him. So if he wants Job to listen to him, why is he going to act like a crazy man? Hey, Job, listen to that thunder. I can hear it in my head. Can't you hear it? No, he can actually hear it in the background. There's a storm coming. It's, it's reality. And there's more evidence than just that. If you, if you fast forward where we're going to be next, if you look in chapter 38, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. When do, you, when do whirlwinds happen? I mean, maybe we would call it a tornado. When do tornadoes happen? It's a storm. I mean, tornadoes don't just happen at random. They come out of storm. They're born out of a storm. So perhaps this approaching storm that Elihu is referencing is the same storm that's going to lead us to the appearance of God. I mean, that's what's happening. That's what's happening as we end this book. So if you put yourself in that situation, if you reframe things from that perspective, like there is an actual storm this is a pretty highly dramatic moment. Like it's building and building. And then God comes on the scene. But Elihu is going to talk about, again, this greatness of God. The ways of God that we can't comprehend. If you look in verses 3 through 6, he says, He lets it loose. This voice and the rumbling that he's talked about. He lets it loose beneath the entire sky. His lightning to the ends of the earth. Then there comes a roaring sound. God thunders with his majestic voice. He doesn't restrain the lightning when his rumbling voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we can't comprehend. He's, he's drawing Job's attention to thunder and lightning. And again, I think it's because you can see it and you can hear it. And he's saying, look at that, Job. He says they're on display all throughout the earth. It's not just here. God controls this everywhere. It's on display beneath the entire sky. That's what Elihu says. God's powerful display of thundering lightning, it knows no boundaries. It's not restrained. And it's interesting to me how these two things are combined. 
And if you think about that, it makes sense. If you, I, Pastor Renee, maybe not, because they get a half inch of rain a year. But if you ever watch a storm, right? I mean, that's one thing we do in the South. You sit on the porch and you watch a storm. But have you ever watched a storm? If you watch lightning, then thunder follows, right? The thunder follows. If you remember as a child, you're taught that, okay, you see the lightning, now count one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. And when you hear the thunder, that's how far the storm is away from you. Now, I don't know if that's accurate, if that's scientific or not, but that's what little kids are taught. And so what you know or what, what point that makes is that they're always together. Thunder and lightning are always together. And I think the point that Elihu's trying to make here is that God's voice, right, the thunder, and God's power, the lightning, they're one and the same. They're always together. I mean, how did he create the world? He spoke, right? God's voice and God's power are one and the same. And again, that's something that Elihu's saying, listen, you can't even wrap your mind around it. You can't comprehend it. He, he goes on and he talks about snow and rain, these are things that we tend to take for granted. I guess we wouldn't take them for granted if we got a half inch of rain here. But we take that stuff for granted. But what those things do is they put on the full display of the power of God. If you think about snow and how beautiful it is, think about how difficult it is to forecast. I mean, you live here in the winter, right? And teachers are like, oh, we're going to get out of school. Like, I mean, it's, it's literally, we're very often we're on that one degree line. Like one degree off, it's going to rain. Or one degree under the line, we may get six inches of snow. I mean, it's that fine. And if you if you follow the the weather guy, he's like, he doesn't have a clue what he's doing. He gets paid, and he doesn't have a clue. He's just guessing, right? So we understand to some degree how all those processes work, but not really. Or we could forecast it better. But God's in complete control of all those things. He tells it when to snow, where to snow, how much to snow. He tells it when to rain, where to rain, how much to rain, gentle or hard. And again, we've seen all of those things. And I think the point that Elihu's trying to make is, yeah, we can't comprehend all those things, but God's sovereign, magnificent, and in control of everything, down to the finest detail. And again, that's something that we struggle to grasp, right? And he goes on and he talks about God's authority in verses 7 and 8. It says, all of these things that we just talked about, the snow, the rain, they serve as his sign to all mankind so that all men may know his work. The wild animals enter their lairs, and they stay in their dens. So Elihu's pointing to God's control over nature, and he's doing it from several different angles. Yeah, he's in control of nature. Yeah, we can't comprehend it. But it demonstrates his complete authority. He's going to show us the effect that it has on both man and both nature, or the animal kingdom. Now, it's interesting, as I've enc- we've encountered this a handful of different times in the book of Job, but there's a lot of difference in some translations, especially in this book that I've encountered. And so you, what you get from a verse may differ based on the translation you're reading. So, for example, what I just read to you out of the CSB, it says, All of these things serve as his sign to all mankind so that all men may know his work. Okay, but if you look at that same verse in the King James Version, it says, He sealeth up the hand of every man that all men may know his work. Now, the idea is the same. It's the same general idea that the work of God makes it very clear who's in charge. Real clear. But, in the King James, I give props to the King James right here. Mark this down on your calendar. I give props to the King James 
because it, it gives the implication that God's work has the ability to pause the work of man. So not only does man take notice, man takes notice because God can put him on the sideline with his actions. And I think that translation is a bit more powerful and probably more accurate. Amen. <laughs> because isn't it, true? isn't it true that we tend to believe that we've got things figured out and that we're in control of things when the reality is we're not in control of anything? I mean, I just, I just walked back to Tracy Bisbee and said, when did it stop raining? You drove in from the south side of the county. When did it stop raining? Because I spent two hours today spraying weed killer that costs a little bit, and then it starts dropping rain. I'm like, are you kidding me? I sprayed weed killer today because I watched that weatherman, and that weatherman said it wasn't going to rain. And I didn't want to waste $100 and two hours of sweating, but I'm not in control of anything. Even when I think I am. Why did I pick today? Because it wasn't supposed to rain. Well, what the heck's it doing right now? Right? We're not in control of anything. God has the ability to pause the work of man. How many times has your schedule been changed because it's going to rain? I was going to do this today, but it's going to rain. I know some of you guys, I know Dale bails hay. That's very dependent on the weather. I need to bail hay, but I can't bail hay. Or I better get that hay up. I was going to do this today, but I got to get the hay because it's going to rain tomorrow. God's in control. We're not. Snow does the same thing. God's in control, we're not. The same thing applies to the animal world. In verse 8, Elihu says that the wild animals enter their lairs and they stay in their dens. The animals know exactly what's going on. And the power of the weather can change their plans as well. It's interesting, as I was driving some of the, the mission team back from California, as I was driving them to the airport, they started, you know, every, again, it's so green here, like so much rain. You know, and then they wanted to talk about, well, we have earthquakes, you know. We have earthquakes. And they even brought up the idea that it's kind of eerie. It gets really still before the earthquake. And after you've experienced them enough, you can start to pick up on that stuff. But the animals always know. Well, they said the animals always know. They know what's up. And what do they do? They do exactly what Elihu says they do. They take off to the safe place. Because they know who's in control. They're not in control. God's in control. So that's the point that Elihu's trying to make, is that God is in complete control. And he's not in complete control where he's going to go next. It's not just random. As he's told us before, there's purpose. He always acts with purpose. He says in verses 9 through 13, The windstorm comes from its chamber, and the cold from the driving north winds. Ice is formed by the breath of God, and watery expanses are frozen. He saturates clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. They swirl about, turning around and around at his, at his direction. Why? To accomplish everything he commands them over the surface of the inhabited world. He causes this to happen for punishment, for his land, or for his faithful love. So not only does God have complete authority, but he uses that authority to accomplish a variety of purposes. We've talked about rainstorms. We've talked about snowstorms. Now he's talking about ice and how powerful it can be. So it's apparent, why does he talk about ice? Well, I think he's trying to tell you now that God controls everything from all directions. North, south, east, and west. He's in control of all these processes from beginning to end. He saturates the clouds. He spreads his lightning. He can make it rain. He can make it snow. He can make it ice. And why does he do these things? To accomplish what he wants to accomplish. 
And have you ever really stopped to think about that on the level of a storm? We all talk about the sovereignty of God. We all act as though we understand that, yes, God's in complete control. But if we've broken that down to the finest detail, even to a storm, that's what Elihu's getting at. God has a purpose even in the storm. And verse 13 tells us about those purposes. He causes the storm to happen for punishment, for his land, or for his faithful love. Those are the three purposes. So he can use a storm... Or he can use the weather, or you could throw in, I think, any natural process. He can use those for punishment. The first thing that should pop in your mind, I think, when you read that chapter, is the flood of Noah. I mean, he definitely used that for worldwide judgment, for all the sin that had taken place. Now, God promised, what, to never flood the earth again. But that doesn't mean that he can't or he still doesn't use these natural processes to, to punish sin. I know in some circles, that was an idea that was at least floated out, if you remember Hurricane Katrina, and I mean, it just absolutely hammered New Orleans, like direct hit. And that was kind of an idea that had been floated around, like, this is judgment on a wicked city. Now, you throw that out there, people want to throw you in the loony bin. And I can't say for 100% fact that, yes, that is why it happened, but I do think we have to recognize there's a possibility. Like, God can use those things to judge humanity. He can use those things to get your attention. He can also use these processes for the benefit of the land. Psalm 24.1 tells us that the earth and everything in it is the Lord's. So he uses the weather to do what? To make the land fruitful and productive. That's what it's supposed to do. And he can make it do what he wants it to do. You look at the third reason these processes can be used to demonstrate the mercy and love of God. Because Dale gives me a hard time because as a baseball coach in March, April, and May, I don't like it to rain. But he, as someone who's trying to grow stuff, likes it to rain. If it doesn't rain, what happens? Crops don't grow. Right? The land is not fruitful. So, so God can use those things. That's why Acts fourteen seventeen tells us that God is doing us good by giving us rain because it makes the land fruitful. And when that happens, it fills our hearts, our stomachs, <laughs> with gladness. Right? That's a, that's a blessing over the people that he makes the land fruitful. And if we recognize those things, then what, sh- what should be the outcome of that? Well, it should draw us back to him. It should cause us to worship, right? I mean, if we have a, if we have a very productive harvest, that should draw us back to worship. Because if, you're a, if you've planted anything... I mean, you recognize over time that I'm at the mercy of, I'm at the mercy of God because I don't care how good of a gardener I am. If the weather doesn't cooperate, if I don't get the rain I need, if I don't get the sun I need, I can't grow anything. So if it's a good year, it should draw me back to, to worship of the Father because he's the one that's in control of those things. And that's what Elihu's doing with all these examples. He's, again, he's telling Job, listen, Job, God is great and he's majestic. And he's using this storm in the background to make his point, to, use, to make his argument come to life. I mean, think about how much more powerful this argument is as it's thundering and lightning right behind him or right in front of him or right all around him. And now he's going to draw Job's attention to all of these things. He's going to lump them all together and he's going to demand an answer from Job. right? And he's going to come at Job with four questions. He says, listen, Job. I've made all these points. Now I want you to listen. 
Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God directs his clouds or makes their lightning flash? Do you understand how the clouds float, those wonderful works of him who has perfect knowledge? You whose clothes get hot when the south wind brings calm to the land, can you help God spread out the skies as hard as a cast metal mirror? Teach us what we should say to him, because we can't prepare our case because of our darkness. Should he be told that I want to speak? Can a man speak when he's confused? Job, I mean, Elihu asked Job these four specific questions. Again, because he wants to point to God's greatness and God's majesty. But the point is, I want you to understand, Job, how frail humanity is in relation to the greatness of God. The first question he asks him, look at all this lightning. Look at it. How's that work, Job? How's that work? I mean, you've seen, bam, bam, bam. Where's the next one going to hit? Can you tell me? I mean, that's what he's saying. Can you tell me? You think about a photographer. I mean, we still, we still, if you're looking at images of storms and images of lightning, and if you've got, let's say, downtown Nashville or a big city, and you've got a lightning bolt that appears to be hitting the top of a building, and someone happened to catch that photo just at the right time, everybody looks at that picture and does what? Oh, man, what a beautiful picture. Why? Because how in the heck did you get so lucky to take it? Because you have no idea where the lightning's going to go. It's not like you can just, okay, right here next. You ready? One, two, three. You can't do that. And that's what Elihu's saying. Where's it going to be next? How does it work? Do you know how God does that? How does he make that happen? And the simple answer is, Job doesn't have a clue. He doesn't have a clue. All he can do is what I just explained to you. Marvel that it happened. Man, that was crazy. Man, that was beautiful. Man, that was powerful. If you've ever had lightning maybe hit your house, I hope not, or hit pretty dang close, you're like, dang, that shook everything. I mean, that's powerful. It makes you feel awful small. Job can't explain it, and he can't replicate it. That's the other point that Elihu's trying to make. Why don't you do that, Job? You go next. Do it. You can't do it. You can't make it lightning. Then he comes back, second question, and he asks about the clouds. Hey, Job, see that cloud? How's it just hanging there in the sky? How does it do that? I can see, I mean, just in my imagination, I can see Elihu pick up a rock and go, see, look at this. <laughs> I can't make that rock hang there. How did that hang up there, Job? How does that cloud just sit there? Why didn't it fall to the ground like that rock that I just dropped? It doesn't appear like that cloud's sitting on anything. It's just kind of floating right there. How does that happen? How does that happen? Again, Job has no answer. It's interesting, too, I believe, I could be wrong, but I think after this second question, Elihu kind of throws a little gut punch, jab, insult in there to kind of make it sting a little more because Job can't explain these things. He can't explain them. So Elihu comes back in verse 17 and he says, You whose clothes get hot when the south wind comes. He's saying, you can't control these things. You can't even control when you get hot and cold. When you're uncomfortable. And here you are questioning God. If I think about me, if I think about March, okay? So, I want to know if I'm going to be at baseball practice or at a baseball game for an extended amount of time, anywhere from three to six hours outside, Let's say it's 45 degrees in March. 
okay? I want to know, is the sun going to be out? Is there going to be a north wind or is there going to be a south wind? And you may say, well, what if it's not windy? That's not an option in Cumberland County. There's either going to be a north wind or a south wind. And maybe you don't stand outside in March a lot, but there's a major difference between the north wind and the south wind. And so what wind I'm going to get is going to determine what clothes am I going to wear to practice today? Or what am I going to wear under my jersey tonight? Because I don't want to freeze to death. So, and again, what does that prove? It proves I'm not in control of anything, right? I'm just trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, but I don't get to control because if it was up to me, it'd be south wind, south wind, south wind, not a north wind. But what do we get most of the time? North winds, north winds. It makes that 45 feel like 28, especially if there's no sunshine. I'm not in control of anything. I mean, the main idea here, I think, what Elihu's trying to get across is, do you you not understand who God is in comparison to you? Do you not understand that? He goes on with the third question, and and he's talked about, it's funny, because he's kind of building on himself. And he's talked about lightning, and now he's talked about clouds, and now he bunches these things together and says, okay, Job, why don't you help God with all those things? Why don't you help God spread out the sky? Why don't you tell him where to put a cloud? Why don't you tell him where to make the storm? Why don't you tell him where to rain? Why don't you tell him where to put the lightning down? Why don't you tell him where to let the sun shine? Why don't you do those things? You think, I think about a sunrise and a sunset. No doubt in Job's many days, he was a wealthy man, okay? So he had probably had some time on his hands at, at times to watch the sunrise and the sunset. It said he was a faithful man. He got up and did sacrifices, right? He prayed to his God. So he was probably up early. He probably saw the sunrise. He also probably saw several sunsets, right? Or just beautiful paintings in the sky. Like we've seen those in Cumberland County. Like, man, that looks like a beautiful painting. All those different bright colors. It's beautiful. But again, Job can't recreate that. He had no hand in helping God do that. He can't do it. I, I think about, I was only 10 years old, but I do remember this. I don't know if you remember. I did look it up. So in 1989, there's the Lifesaver commercial. Where there was a tree, and there was a dad and his kid. And you kind of just saw the silhouette of the dad and the kid. And they were sitting under the tree, and they're watching the sunset. That's it. And it goes down, 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 and on the way. And then the kid goes, do it again, Daddy. <laughs> All right, we'll try again tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, like he can't make it happen again. I mean, the kid recognizes the beauty of it, right, and how cool that was, because the dad in the commercial is going, going going, going, gone. And the kid goes, do it again. (laughs) He's hopeless to do it again. You can't make it happen. God's the one that's in control, right? That's the reality. We're in the dark on that. We're in the dark on how that works, when it happens, how it happens. We're we're, we're completely out of control there. God's the one that's in control. And and the point that Elihu's trying to make is, if you can understand that, Job, then who are you to question God? Who are you to question him? How can you argue that he's unjust? He comes back with one last question, and he says, so should God be told that you want to speak to him, Job? Because that's what Job's been arguing, right? If I could just argue my case, if I could just, if he just hear me. Okay, so you want me to let him know? We're ready for you. <laughs> it's interesting. It's fascinating. And he comes back to Job, and he says, how can man speak when he's so confused? 
You don't know how the lightning works. You don't know how the rain works. You don't know how the sunshine works. You don't know how the sunset works. Sunset rise works. You can't make it happen. How can, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? God's the only one that truly understands all of those things. He's the only one that's in control of all those things. So what position are you in, Job, to question any of those things or to question the things that you're experiencing in your life? Does God need to be interrupted with the complaining of his creation who can't understand or replicate the things that he does regularly and perfectly? But yet, what do we do on a daily basis? In reality, God would be fully justified. I talked to the youth about this during the Bible school this week. But in reality, God would be fully justified in ending our lives because of how wicked and sinful we are. He'd be fully justified. He withholds. He's gracious and merciful. And you may be thinking, you tell that to Job right here. He's gracious and merciful. Or maybe you just dealt with something really serious, not fun. He's gracious and merciful. What are you talking about? I'm going through all this. You're breathing. He's gracious and merciful. He'd be fully justified to end all of us right now. But why doesn't he? Because that's not his character. It's not who he is. And we should be, instead of wallowing in our misery... We should be extremely thankful that God is who he is. And it should cause us to pause and think twice or three times before we begin to complain or question about the things that he does. I, I, I really believe this, this. if you asked, I don't know, 50 people on the street, hey, what's the main idea of the book of Job? You're going to get a decent number of people that say, well, I mean, why do bad things happen to good people? Like that's... <laughs> bull. It's never, that question is never asked in the entire book. And even more importantly, that question is never answered. It's not what the book of Job is about. The, the deeper that we study in, in this book, I'm convinced what this book is about is the greatness and majesty of God. That's what it's about. Get your mind off yourself. Understand who God is. He's the sovereign king of the universe. And you're his creation. Know your role. Right? Know your role in worship. That's, that's, that's the main idea of Job. And so Elihu gets to this conclusion that God's great. Man's not in his position to question the ways of God. And he makes one final point as if he didn't have enough points already. He makes one final, final point and he says, you, you can't even look at the sun... When there's clouds in the sky. That's how, that's how powerless you are. And what does it take? What does it take to move the clouds so you can see the sun? Just a little wind. But guess what, Job? Yeah, you can't do that either. <laughs> you can't do that either. You're at the mercy of when the wind blows, so the clouds move, and now you can see the sun. That's how powerless you are. God is great. Mankind is frail. Who are we to question him? It says in verse 23, The Almighty, we cannot reach him. That instantly draw my attention back to Genesis 11.4 in the Tower of Babel, right? What they want to do, we want to be like God. We can't. We can't. And if we're getting ready to go into Genesis, I think, in the fall, and one thing that I've heard Dale say over and over is man was charged with having dominion over the earth. Not having dominion over the heavens. Right? God gave us a task, and it wasn't to, to, to take over his realm. It was to take care of the one that he gave us. 
We can't be like God. We can't. We're frail, and he's not. He alone is exalted in power. That's what, that's what Elihu says here. The power that, that Elihu has pointed us to and the knowledge of who we are, it should cause us to fear who God is. But in that fear, we can trust that God's not going to violate justice and righteousness. That's what he tells us. He will not violate justice and abundant righteousness. Because we know what his character is. We can, even though we're powerless before him, we can trust in his character. But he does make a point. He says, God doesn't look favorably on any who are wise in heart. Translation, he doesn't look favorably, favorably on the prideful. He doesn't look favorably on the prideful. That made me think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own ways. Lean on him. So, just wrapping up here, I think congratulations are in order. <laughs> We've made it. We're going to hear from God next. We've made it through all of the mess of mankind, right? But Elihu reaches conclusion. He's questioned Job on the greatness of God in order to provide Job with an understanding of who he is, who Job is, who you are in relation to who God is. And now it's God's turn to speak. And he's going to do so in the midst of this storm. And what we're going to see, interestingly, is a continuation of some of these methods of Elihu. Like God's going to question Job. Tell me how this works. Tell me how that works. Can you do this, Job? He's trying to tell Job, listen, understand who you are and understand who I am. And so that's what we're going to see as we enter into these final few chapters in the coming weeks. But what, what can I learn from this, this chapter and apply it to my life as I leave this place? i got five things for you in closing. The first one is, we would do well to pause and remind ourselves of the majesty of God. Understand how big He is. Because all that can do is give you a better understanding of who you are. And when I have a better understanding of who I am, when I know who God is, the chances that I act in an appropriate manner are greatly increased. But when I begin to think too highly of myself, now sin comes into play. Real quick. So we do, we do well to pause and remind ourselves of the majesty of God. Second, we do well to understand that God's in control of our days as opposed to ourself. Live in the moment. Live in today. What has God given me today to take care of? What has God given me today to do? What opportunities has God given me today to be a part of what He's doing? Not consume too much about what does tomorrow hold because I ain't in control of tomorrow. Thirdly, we do well to understand that God always acts with a purpose. That's a point that I've tried to hammer home week after week after week after week. Elihu's done the same. God always acts with a purpose. Understand who he is. Understand he doesn't act by chance. He has a plan. If we understand his character, we can trust the plan. Fourth, we do well to understand our position before God. Know who you are. Know that you're called to worship. Know that you're called to be obedient. You're not called to be God for God. You're called to worship God. And lastly, we do well to trust in the character of God. If I really know who he is, then that should bring me peace. It should encourage me to be obedient because I know who he is. And I know how he's going to respond. Yeah, he could, he could do that and I could be dead in a, in a minute. 
And he has every right to do that. But it's not his character. Right? His character is he wants to draw me closer to himself. He wants to use me. He wants to use me to make much of him. So if I understand who he is, if I understand who I am, and if I know his character, then I'm more likely to be obedient to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, the words of this book. We thank you for all that we've seen up to this point. Lord, and I, I pray that it would draw our attention back to you, that we would come to an understanding of who we are and who you are, how great you are. We can't even comprehend Lord, I pray that that wouldn't push us into a corner, but it would cause us to love you and desire you more. It would cause us to be more obedient to you because we know how great and powerful you are and the mighty things that you can do. And the fact that you choose to use us is remarkable. What a gift that is, what an honor that is. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't take it for granted, that we would step out in faith and we would be bold in all that we do. Lord, as you come in these last four chapters and speak as we move in the upcoming weeks, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us just like you spoke to Job that you would activate us, that you would give us a desire to worship you even more and to act on your behalf even more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.